The Business of Cleaning, the podcast that brings cleaning industry expertise straight to your ears. We interview professionals from all over to bring our listeners knowledge of how to achieve success within their business. Season one is about change management and enabling you to both face and create change in all aspects of your company. We're talking management, HR, suppliers, and more. Let's sweep right into the episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Haley Morris. I'm your podcast coordinator and host here at the Business of Cleaning. And today I have with me Eva from RBG Janitorial. So Eva, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself and tell us more about what you do? Well, I own, I own RBG Janitorial. I'm the owner and president. And we are a woman-owned small business providing commercial cleaning services to government, military contracts, anything non-residential. All right, thank you. So with RBG, you guys are a little bit younger of a company, aren't you? Yes, we will be three years old this coming January. Yay, congrats, it's getting up. We're getting real close. 2021 is almost here. Yeah, after 2020, it feels like 30 years. Right. It's been the, it's been the most unique year, I think in my life, which is admittedly not super long yet, but, um, (laughs) definitely like the most memorable, uh, I can't believe it's only been a year. (laughs) Um, so about the founding, how did you guys come to be? Um, I only a couple years old. So where was your starting point and how have you grown since, you know, over the last couple of years, almost three. Uh, I, I had a friend who was selling janitorial supplies and was retiring, but he had a few buildings that he cleaned. He had six buildings and eight janitors and asked if I would like to start a cleaning company. It was not like anything I had done before. And so I, after some back and forth, I said, okay, why not? And we jumped in and it's been a skyrocket ever since. We followed, we, we got together with the Small Business Development Center who helped us establish a business, form a, a business concept or, or to hone our business concept into something that could then be presented to, you know, to register us as small business, to register us as woman-owned business, to apply to banks for credit should we need it, and then also networking. And through that, we became involved with the Workforce Connection, which is the Department of Employment Security, which is underneath the purview of the Department of Human Services, which is a segment of the Department of Labor. And in traveling through those branches of our government, we somehow also became involved with the Veterans Administration. Oh, and my goodness, Goodwill and the Salvation Army and the local rescue mission and on and on. (laughs) I ask because I know we've been talking before and you just, you have such an interesting background and you didn't typically come into this industry from the usual starting point. It was definitely a new venture for you. 
but you've done extremely well since then. You've taken something that was new and unknown and turned it into something extremely successful. Well, I'm at heart, I'm a salesperson. And so at the very core of this business enterprise, cleaning and the various services associated with commercial janitorial maintenance, that's the product we sell. It's, you know, it could be milk, it could be bananas, it could be life insurance, but we sell cleaning services to other businesses. And of course we want our product to be the best on the market. So there is a lot of training and work in the background to honing that. All of the other roles that are involved in running a company, that's, that's what I'm better at. This is just selling this product and you know, digitally marketing it. I was just going to say, you're leveraging the talents of those you work with and you're really good at it. Well, that so. is a thing that we noticed is because, you know, I, I'm just a small business owner, a single person running this from my house. And my background is not in building maintenance. The past, the way it's been developed most is by listening to the employees they, it took a little getting to know each other before they realized that I am genuinely interested in hearing what they have to say. They have so much more experience than I do. And in the past, they, they've been working with bosses who just buy the cheapest things they can find. And they discover, I want to give them good, strong tools because it makes their job easier and we instill pride in them. We, we're not humble, lowly janitors. Oh, I'm just a cleaning girl. We're very proud of our work. And that in turn affects the quality of service we provide. I think that all of our janitors think they're the most important person in the building. Uh, we say the building is a baby and we take care of it. And the people who work there are toddlers and we clean up after them <laughs> because sooner or later, that's kind of, you don't mind cleaning, changing a baby's diaper. It's something that you do to take care of the baby. And that's kind of, that gives us the affection that we need to provide the services that we do. And in the COVID pandemic, that was more apparent than ever before. I asked everybody at the start, are you scared? Do you want to stay home? Do you want me to have somebody cover your shift for you? And they rose up like warriors. It's our job to keep these buildings safe. If we don't clean them, who will? They would not turn the work over to someone they didn't trust to clean the buildings properly. And it was pretty amazing. I was both proud and humbled by their dedication. That mindset did a lot. I mean, just it's kind of cool because you've created and instilled that environment just by starting with a good example, starting from a humble place. So this is what has been the most educational thing to me is every single person who comes to our company brings value outside of the simple fact of labor of cleaning a building. There are the, the way that they find to communicate with each other, the, you know, we work with people who have their bodies are shaped differently than most people's or, or so they, they have a different approach 
the end result is still the same. You have a building that's clean, it's, it's sanitized, it's disinfected, it's polished to a high gleam, the customer is happy. But how we get to that point, everybody has a different approach to it. And listening, the biggest thing was to create an environment where everybody is comfortable talking to each other and to me about that because that helps me. I can buy what looks, you know, I, we took on a new client. It was 38 buildings statewide. And so I sat here at my computer and ordered all of the supplies online and had it distributed to 38 buildings. And the brooms that I bought were three foot tall lobby brooms, little six inch wide brooms, like little Barbie brooms, <laughs> because the picture online looked like a regular broom. That's the kind of thing that can happen if you don't get feedback from your employees. That it's so, it's really cool to hear. I mean, it makes me want to be part of your team, <laughs> but that's the point too. It's an, it's an inviting team. It's one that people want to be a part of. And I think that's a huge goal. And how many, how many janitors, how many employees do you have now since, compared to when you started? Um, I think last year we had 48. Right now we're at about half that because of the pandemic. A lot of, we've lost a lot of employees because they are homeschooling their children now. And that task is extremely daunting and time consuming and they simply don't have the luxury of having a job on top of that. But yeah, like you said, it's having the, being a place that people want to work has had the definite advantage. In the beginning, we were like, find a warm body and pull my t-shirt over his head and push him in the building to show we're there. Now we have, we can pick and choose. Well, I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's just as an employer, very good position to be in. No, I would agree. And I asked just because it leads us into our topic today, which is talking about you've sort of gone above and beyond when it comes to inclusivity with your employees. You worked a lot with veterans and with persons with disabilities. And so that's not something that you hear a lot in any work environment, in any type of business. Um but not only do you go above and beyond, you've, you're recently recognized for it too. We were actually two awards in one month. I was surprised and, and my mom is very proud. <laughs> um, I love working with the veterans. They are absolutely because they have made their sacrifice to their lives and their families to dedicate a portion of themselves and their life to defending our country. And that's a huge benefit to everybody and that deserves to be repaid. That notwithstanding from a very practical point of view, they understand taking orders and giving orders, project ownership and completion, and they all know how to clean all of them. It makes them wonderful to work with. They put the military shine on things. So we love our vets indeed. And as far as working with people with disabilities, that's still a surprise to me. I, I didn't think we were doing anything even out of the ordinary, much less extraordinary. <laughs> um, we just look for people who 
who want to come to work and take pride in their job. And we've just had amazing success. It seems that what the company has decided it wants to be is to give people an opportunity in the workplace and you know people who may not be getting a first or a second chance elsewhere. So they come to us and they learn what it means to have a job. They learn to be conscientious. A lot of the soft skills, working with a team, reporting if there are problems or concerns, following directions, taking responsibility for your own performance. And then from there we work on their goals. What do you want to be when you grow up? No 10 year old says, I want to be a janitor when I grow up. That's not true. Actually, we do meet some people who do actually want to be janitors for the rest of their lives. Uh, then we help them be trainers to train other people. And then we work with the local university and college to help them get into courses, to place them into the jobs, that their dream jobs, what they want to do. Some, several of them want to start their own business, and I lead them right back to the Small Business Development Center, who helped us develop our business so that they can start their own as well. Being a janitor is ideal because we work nights, weekends, and holidays for doing something else during the normal business hours, like attending school or running a company of your own. Wow. I love that you're just very aware of the people aspect of it. It's, I think sometimes, you know, no matter what kind of unit we are, we want to be like, this is, we want it to be their permanent place. We want them to come in and not leave. And I think especially from a hiring and recruitment standpoint, which is in my background, that is one of the perspectives, who's going to stick it out. But you're aware that for many, it's a stepping stone and you want to make it a really, really solid stepping stone for them. Most definitely. That's that's part of it that there are so many different roles in a company. Like I said, the cleaning is the product we sell, but there's there's logistics of scheduling, logistics of inventory. There are there's social media, digital marketing, PR, customer service, um, the human HR aspect of things, the trainings that we, we have a lot of training. We, that's another reason why we want them to stay with us so that they can be trained well enough to provide the level of service that we offer our customers. And everybody, every single person in the company can clean a building. Everybody can clean. I clean buildings if necessary. I, <laughs> even I can do it. And if I can do it, anybody can. But there are so many other roles and people will show, you know, I'll say I need to find a good scrub brush and three people will pick up their phones and start searching on their phone. Well, now they've just become procurement officers for the, for the company. And with the sense of ownership comes the sense of responsibility. Everybody is part of the company. The, the success reflects on all of us. And they help each other and they help me, which is nice. As far as longevity in a company, I read once, you know, my generation, we stay at a job for 20, 30 years, and that's just not a thing anymore. Nobody does that. I read once that kids these days, <laughs> that the, the, the modern workforce, if they're going to stay with a company for a very long time, they're talking about three years. And that's fine with me, 
because again, nobody wants to be a janitor forever. It's, it's a step into along a path. Yeah, I always think too, if you want to think about it logistically, because a lot of people that, you know, they have to make sure their logistics are covered first. They still, if they're there for a year, two years, three years, you're still kind of getting your money's worth. Like it's worth the training. It's worth the investment. They do good at their job. Um, yes, you're going to have to recruit again, but if you're doing what you're doing, you're setting it up for success by making a team people want to be part of, a lot of that recruitment effort is going to happen naturally. Like it's just going to be part of the draw of who you are. Well, it definitely does. We, we have, I had an employee and she was maxed out on hours. She's maxed out on wages. I could not give her any more money per hour and still she wanted more and she deserves it. And I had to explain to her, you know, this is how the pay works. If I pay you a dollar, it costs me a dollar 30 to pay you that. And then we take that dollar an hour and on top of that, we add all of the equipment, your uniforms, the chemicals and supplies. And then there are insurances, the vehicles, the licensing, and I have to wrap all of that up. And at some point I have to eat too. So when I put all of that together and present that as a cost to a potential client, if I base that on $30 an hour or $40 an hour, which you absolutely deserve, nobody's gonna hire us. And so there won't be any work. And so then I said, why don't you be a manager? I said, oh, no, no, I just, I just want to clean buildings. I said, okay, well, when we start new people for the first two months, they make a dollar less an hour. After the two-month probationary period, they go up a dollar an hour. For that first two months, why don't you just teach them to clean the way you clean and to fill out reports and do the timekeeping the way you do and take two, three days. And then after that, Go check on the new person every week or two. Make sure, oh, you need to pay more attention to this or you need to order that when it gets to here so you don't run out before it's delivered. And then for those two months, I will pay you that extra dollar. She says, oh, yeah, I could do that. Well, that's what a manager does. <laughs> if I don't call it a manager, she's managing now. She's training at any given time, probably five recruits. Wow. And then I thought, you know, she wouldn't do it because she's, she's just good as gold, but there's no real incentive there to teach that employee to stay because she only gets the bonus during the training period. So we were doing it every paycheck. Then I thought, no, it's a nicer bonus if we wait that full two months and then give it to her then. And then I said, okay, well, then we'll give another one at the six months. We'll, you know, we'll just take that dollar an hour and pay it to the employee as a training bonus if somebody's with us for six months, they'll stay with us forever. And it's that, that way of trying to accommodate and take care of our employees has just turned into a very successful training model. And it, it's not me. I'm not the one out there doing the training, which gives me time to sit and do interviews and, <laughs> and to do the things that I do best at my computer. Part of being a team is you know, maximizing everybody's skill set, not having one person that does it all. It's a, what can I do? What can you do type situation? Exactly. So, um, and a lot of my college professors would have loved to hear me say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so how does that, you know, how do you tie that back into, because I just, 
I, I don't know. It's, it sounds like a really cool model. And it's one of those things that, you know, my little previous HR heart sings for it. <laughs> um, I did recruitment for two years, just kind of as a, a background. I did it throughout my, the end of my college career um, before I graduated with an HR degree and now I'm in marketing. <laughs> so um, how do you tie in the trainings with like the veterans and those, everybody's got like a little bit different skill set. And when you're being as inclusive as you are, obviously you probably see this. So how do you like with these additional trainings and things that you provide, how do you make sure that that's hitting everybody right at their level? (laughs) That is the question, isn't it? Right. Excuse me. It comes down to communication and there's a co in communication. There's the concept that I wish to give you. And then there is your reception and comprehension of what I'm trying to impart. And everybody has their way of communicating. I have the advantage that I had a, I I used to be a translator for many years. And so you simply, I lived in a country where initially I didn't speak the language at all. And you have to simplify your sentence structure so that it translates well, whether it's Google or not. There is, you have to pay attention to the listener to make sure that what they're saying, what you're saying is being understood. I, I have an employee and she has this very bad habit of saying, okay, okay, perfect. Okay, perfect. And I now know two and a half years later when she says that she doesn't understand the thing you're saying. (laughs) But it took a while to figure that out. Um, it's, it's, It's an overused word, accommodation, but My theme last year was accommodation is a two-way street. When I'm hiring new people who may, it doesn't really matter if if you started to work for the company or anybody, no matter what their background, their current situation, their heritage, their language, anything. I say, you know, if there is something that you know exists to make your job easier, please let me know because I may not know about it. You know, I had, a, I had a janitor in a wheelchair and I said, we've got backpack vacuums. Would that be easier for you than the upright? Well, yeah, it would. And he also knows there are other things that might help him more. He was, um, he has a, it's like a walker, but it's, it's motorized so that he's standing rather than sitting and that he's, he's one of the best janitors we have. Nobody really knows how he does his work, but he does it and he does an outstanding job. And so if he's a trainer, then that kind of takes away any excuse anybody might have of it's too hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's interesting too, because obviously from a recruitment side, I've hired people with various forms of disability, whether it's mobility or it's sight or hearing or all of those things combined, um, that to, I know from like the legal standpoint, you can't assume, um, which is a good thing, but you have to kind of prompt them and invite them. And that could be something very uncomfortable from their side is they're never sure how people will respond 
or sometimes they do assume that you're going to notice automatically, um, <laughs> even if it's not a visual um, something like something that you can see, like a wheelchair. And so it's interesting because, like you said, it's a two-way street. You from your side, you're doing what you need to to be inviting and be open to that, so that they feel they can communicate it. But then they have to be actually willing to state it and ask for what they need. And I think a lot of it sometimes is just being upfront and teaching people, hey, if you actually say what you need or say you're confused when you're confused, it'll make us go 10 times easier. <laughs> well, and I know that I've noticed that, for example, a lot of people coming from the Department of Rehabilitation Services, DRS, they assume everybody knows how do I say, like, what's your diagnosis? It's absolutely illegal to ask that. And now the, the government has added a new form, voluntary self-identification of disability. That's maybe, it's just happened in the past two or three months, time's a bit of a blur. The, that notwithstanding, they talk like everybody knows everything that they know about themselves because they're so used to speaking with case managers openly, I would assume, I would guess. I don't have that ability. And that's been a learning curve for me too, because I'm just a human after all. We, I had a lady emailing me and it turns out she was coached in the background for having a job interview. And then they told her, okay, you're ready, go apply for a job. And she chose my company and she contacted me by email. On my end, I get an email of somebody looking for a job and we email back and forth. And I said, okay, I will send you, I'll email you an application. You can fill it out, scan it, email it back. And she asked at that point, okay, what's your email address? And I thought, well, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. put into words what I thought. <laughs> it was not until a week later that it dawned on me to ask, how did you hear about our company? What inspired you to contact us? Because then maybe I can find out where they're coming. You know, I'm working with mm -hmm. Brittany over here or and then maybe I can narrow it down a little bit. As you say, not to make assumptions, that's been a learning curve. People genuinely think that the other person is just like them. That's just natural and it's not mm -hmm. ever the case. Yeah. And I mean, I've done classes like, you know, I said, I got, going in HR, it is more open discussion. And I think my background's stronger than most because my dad's also in HR. He's <laughs> in a director position now. He was in a director position for nine years. He had a position before that. And so, and I also came from the foster care system where you meet a diversity of people with all kinds of different, um, like physical and mental, wherever they are in their, their personal space right now and where they've been. So for me, like it was a little more natural, but, um, it's some, it's, you can't teach it. It's a skill that's hard to teach, to be open towards the fact that somebody could have something that you can't see limiting them or making things a bit different for how they perceive it. But then you also can't assume and just, uh, you know, start, start trying to work with it. I know we, it's like you said, they have to state it for you to know 
and for you to act on the knowledge. So our HR generalist, when I first did my internship for eight months was great about being like, you can't just assume, even if you can physically see that they need accommodation, you have to get them to ask for it. Um, and you know, you, it, a lot of us just being inviting and opening about it because you, again, you can't say anything that's directly assuming. No, we had somebody too that had uh, needed a bigger screen and a couple software accommodations. And I didn't hire her, but I know throughout the process, it didn't come up. We didn't have it documented. The woman who had taken her through the process had no awareness of it whatsoever. When she shows up to orientation, she comes with, um, I forget what group it was that they worked with a lot, that we worked with a lot. And they'd worked with us before. So they come in with her monitor and everything, which normally we set up in advance because they do their orientation on that monitor as well to make everything easier. So when they're doing all the paperwork, it's easy to see. Um, so we were, of course, able to accommodate them, but we had no, no previous knowledge, which was uh, made it a little uh, difficult and gave us a little shortness on time. But um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting process. But once there's that awareness that you can do it, I feel like you're surprised by how, like you said, you know, working with these veterans, um, their skill set is perfect <laughs> for what you're doing. <laughs> Um, and working with people with dis disabilities, they all have various, uh, various abilities, all ranging, but a lot of times they're appreciative for the work because somebody just said, hey, like, I'll work with you. If you work with me, I'll work with you, right? And sometimes they're the hardest working people you're ever going to find. Most definitely. And I think really it's just paying attention for example, we had a, a janitor and he was not working nights. He was working days in an occupied building, a call center. So there are rows and rows of cubicles and I think 900 people worked there at a time. And he's trying to go and empty their trash cans and, you know, do as quietly and unobtrusively, which was wonderful. He was, he was perfect for it. He's very quiet, very introverted. What I did not know, was, and I don't even know the term for it, but sen he's sensitive to like input overload. Um. And so what he said was, he was, all of the people there, there's a lot going on there, he said. And he said it often enough that I could tell it was bothering him. And so then you just think, how can you make that work? Well, what about some earbuds that you could listen to music while you're working? And he said, that would be nice. And you make it like a present, like, hey, we give you music while you work, you know, and, and now he's got earphones, he's listening to music, he's talking, he's not, you know, he's focusing on what he's doing. And the outside world is no longer there. It's just kind of an obstacle course. It's just the communication is key. You know, you, you want your employees to be happy. I want our employees to be happy. I would assume that applies to other companies as well. We, we're, our employees are not, we don't see them as replaceable. We want them to stay with us long enough to be trained well enough to provide the services at the quality we offer. And for them to stay, we need to keep them happy. And we've kind of created a family environment. And, you know, when we, when we, 
take on a new client, we, wel we say welcome to the family. When we hire new people, we say welcome to the family. And that's just what works for us. Oh, and it sounds like it's extremely effective. I think what I'm seeing throughout a conversation is that you're just open. You want to, you don't only make that effort to listen and be aware of what's going on with your employees, but you want to do it too, because you've seen just like a healthier, happier environment and family that you've created around you, which is extraordinary. <laughs> so what advice would you give for another cleaning business owner right now that could be listening or somebody who works in a company and they just want to make a difference and say, yes, I actually, I know what you're saying, working with veterans and these other groups, but we're not inclusive yet. What advice would you give when it comes to inclusivity and just not just with disabled or with veterans, but with all of your employees? In, in what direction do you want advice? Like how to find people or how to retain them, how to accommodate them? So I guess my question is just changing that culture and that environment that you've set, those initial steps to set you up for success so that you can do all the rest. So what advice would you say, like when you started and you came in and there was already people there, already essentially a company, you had, I think you said eight janitors. Yes. If somebody's coming into their company and they look around, they say, I want to make this feel more inclusive, more inviting, and I want to make it a family atmosphere like you have. What advice would you give for those first steps that they should take? Open dialogue. That's the best thing I can think of is you know, don't order your people around or move them like pieces on a chessboard. Remember that these are people and they may not be talking to you, but they're definitely talking about you. And I, I suppose it would be the best advice I could give would be to be part of that conversation. All right. Thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up our episode now. I think it's been a really great episode. I like the conversation that we've had and I can't wait to see the response from our listeners. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of the business of cleaning. We'll see you next week and have a good rest of your day.